Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And God, it's always my heart that I don't misrepresent you, uh, Lord, and, and that you would speak to us. Lord. And, and, and I know, God, that even though I'll be saying certain words, I know that you speak to hearts in so many different ways. And so I pray, Father, your word would go forth, it would not come back void, that you would do a great work in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the topic I want to talk about this morning has become somewhat controversial, but I also believe it's very relevant to where we are as a, a culture. Uh, and the topic is justice and mercy. I want to talk about justice and mercy. Um, now, I, I have a, a brief disclaimer, I guess. Uh, this word has been percolating in my heart for a number of months, and so it is not in response to some of the recent shootings we've seen. Um, I, there, were, there are truths and principles that I'll be talking about you could apply to those situations, but that's not the thrust that I want to share this morning. I want to look at uh, the topic of justice and mercy from, the, from a biblical perspective. What is God's heart? What is God's perspective on justice and mercy? And how might we apply that to our lives? And so that's where I'll be headed this morning. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the topic of justice in particular, I believe, is often misunderstood and uh, misapplied. And how we how we understand justice is incredibly important because it, in many ways, determines how we think the world should operate. And so we need to have a proper understanding of justice. Now, the concept of justice is certainly not new. From the beginning of creation, God has administered justice and, and, and uh, um, um, given us certain laws by which we're to live our lives by. Um, it was William Gladstone who said, justice delayed is justice denied. Justice delayed is justice denied. And if you, if you go back several thousand years to King Solomon, he, he speaks to the same thought, and he says in Ecclesiastes 8.11, he says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. And so Solomon recognized several thousand years ago the necessity for a system of restraint and consequences for bad behavior, which is no more than the application of justice. Um, we live in a culture today that has become obsessed with justice. Whether we talk about social justice or racial justice or gender justice or economic justice, and there's a dozen other justices that we're talking about today, um, you have governments and, and corporations and social media platforms that are telling you or telling us what is just or what is not just. Now, I believe the cry for justice in many cases is sincere, but I also believe it's, uh, it's misguided. And so I think it's important for you and I as believers to have a clear understanding of justice from God's perspective. But, but even as believers, sometimes we stumble over the whole concept of justice. Have you ever had a situation in your life where something happens with a boss or Something happens with a teacher if you're in school, or something happens with your mother or father if you're staying at home, and suddenly this thing rises up in your heart and says, that's not right, that's not fair, that shouldn't be, that's unjust, that shouldn't have happened to me. Anybody yeah. been in those situations? 
you're lying if you're not. But anyhow, it's good. So a couple questions come out of that for me. First of all, who gets to define what is fair, what is right, or what is unjust? Is it the teacher? Is it your employer? Is it your mother, your father? Is it you? Who gets to define what is fair, what is right, and what is just? And then the second question is, why do we even consider certain things to be just or unjust, fair or unfair, right or wrong? Somebody once said that the philosophy of the Creator is embedded in His creation. The philosophy of the Creator is embedded in His creation. Now, if this is true, any understanding of true justice and mercy, therefore, must come from the Creator. Now, I personally believe that God has deposited something of Himself deep inside of every person, and there's this inherent sense of right and wrong that we carry around. Psalm 89.14 says, talking about God, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Truth, justice, mercy are building blocks of God's kingdom. Now, there are some that have been concerned about justice and have embraced the idea, and Pastor Tony has mentioned this a number of times, embrace the idea that the end justifies the means. In other words, I can do whatever I want to do if it brings about the purposes that I think need to be brought about. However, the problem with that for me is that God is also a God of process. The means or the process has to be right for the end to be right. And so we want to look at that whole uh, uh, topic this morning. In morning prayer several months ago, uh, we were talking about justice and praying about justice. And the Lord brought to my mind the story of Cain and Abel. Most of us probably know that Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. And there was a, there was a period in time when uh, both, both Cain and Abel brought offerings before the Lord. And the scripture said that God had um, regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain's offering. And so uh, it, if you look at the story, Cain felt that a great injustice had been done to him by God, and he nursed this sense of wrong in his heart. And you can see this story in Genesis chapter 4. We'll pick it up at uh, verse 5. It says, Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, now think about that for a minute. The Lord said to Cain, God, the Creator, is speaking to Cain directly. They're, they're having this communication somehow. I'm not sure how they did it, but whether well, it was actual audible conversation or however. But the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? And I believe God was giving Cain an opportunity to change his attitude, to change his response. Now, just as an aside for a minute, when, when disappointment comes into our own lives and we feel that God has let us down, we face the choice of how we're going to respond. When we have this feeling that, you know, God, I've prayed, I've sought you. you why don't you hear my prayers? You, you've let me down. We have to decide at that point and choose how we are going to respond. Which brings another question to my mind. Have you ever nursed a perceived injustice in your heart and responded poorly to the situation? Sometimes we have this sense that some injustice has been done against us and we nurse it. We think on it. We dwell on it. 
And it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And it often leads to a response that is very much inappropriate. I personally believe that how we respond to life situations is often more important than the situations themselves. We get so focused on the situation, but often what's more important than the event itself is how we respond to that event. And again, we want to understand that from God's perspective. Going on with the story in verse 7, um, God is speaking to Cain and he says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. The very nature of sin is to bring down the, the new man and to cause him to respond improperly to some situation in life. And I believe God, uh, God is warning Cain. He's telling him, look, you're about to respond in a way that's going to have serious consequences. And in verse 8, it goes on, and it says, And it came about when they were in the field, when Cain and Abel were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Now, it's interesting that Cain's offense was really with God, but he took it out on his brother. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. We, we take our offense out on people who can't, can't fix our, our problem. And um, which brings another question. How many times do we ignore the counsel of our own conscience or the advice of others? When we're, we're, getting, we're, we're dealing and wrestling with something, how many times do we ignore our, the voice of our own conscience which is trying to say, hey, be careful what you do. Or, or the advice of others. And then we go on and we make a stupid decision. Only me? Whew, I'm feeling better. Goes on in the story in verse 8. No, um, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And by the way, you created him. You ought to know where he is. <laughs> I don't know where my brother is. You know, again, I would step aside for this for a moment. Men have a wonderful ability, men and women have a wonderful ability to rationalize. Uh, the, their way, their, uh, their, to rationalize the way away their accountability for some situation that they're in. We have a wonderful way of rationalizing ourselves out of being accountable for something that we have done. And this is exactly what Cain was doing here. And I, and I believe one of the things you look at this whole story that's so early on in, in, in the Bible story, you see that man's heart is bent toward deception and evil, which is a foreshadowing of our need for a Savior. Amen. Verse 10, the story goes on, and God says to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, I believe the voice of, of um, Abel's blood was crying out from the ground to God for justice. And we're going we're to talk about that more as we go on here this morning.
But it brings us to this question, what is justice from God's perspective? First of all, I believe justice is an attribute of God. Just like love's an attribute of God, it is who He is. He is by nature just. That's who He is. And as a result, God requires justice and mercy because He Himself is just and is merciful. It was Sam Storms who said that God always acts in perfect conformity and harmony with his own character. God acts in harmony with who he is. He is, he is love. He is just. He is mercy. So he acts in harmony with his own uh, character. So whatever God says or whatever God does, just, uh, but because he is just by nature, makes it righteous and just. Right? In Psalm 135, verse 6, the psalmist writes and says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Right or wrong are what God commands or forbids because he himself is just. Right or wrong is what God commands or forbids because he himself is just. Now, here's an, an incredibly important point that I believe we need to get a hold of. We are not the arbiters of justice. We are not the arbiters of justice. God has the ultimate say as to what is just or what is not just. Amen. And because God's nature is just, it puts certain requirements on those whom he created. And therefore, to be unjust, for you or I to be unjust, is to act or speak inconsistent with what the nature of God requires of a man. Right? Matthew 16, 27 says this, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and, then, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now if you consider that verse, God is, God is the judge. He's a just judge, but He's a judge nevertheless, and He will judge our deeds in the flesh. And therefore, how we act must align itself with God's view of what is just or unjust or right or wrong. We can't make up our own standard. We're going to be just according to God's concept of, of justice. What is just, unjust, right or fair, right or, fair or unfair, right or wrong. Now, because God is just, he must punish sin. Sin is a debt that must be paid. God cannot not punish sin because he himself is just. Amen. All right? Now, the punishment for sin must be paid by ourselves or something or someone else. And, and we, we see a foreshadowing of this uh, in the way that God dealt with the nation of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 4, verse 28, it's, it's basically, it says, if... Uh, um, a man's sin, if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without defect, for his sin which he has committed. He shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. For man's sin to be forgiven, a life had to be given. In other words, because God is just, there are consequences for sin, and a debt must be paid. But because God is also mercy, he set up a sacrificial system uh, where an animal's 
an animal stood in man's place to pay the penalty for God's requirement for justice. Does that make sense? Now, we see exactly the same picture of God's justice and mercy at the cross. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For everybody has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The scripture is very clear. We are all sinners. I don't care how, think, how, how much you think you live a good life. The Bible's clear. Everyone has sinned, and we all fall, sort of God, fall short of God's glorious standard. Verse 25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Verse 26, for he himself is fair and just. God himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus Christ. Christ's death, Christ's resurrection is a picture of God's justice, but it's also a picture of of God's mercy. Jesus paid the debt of sin for every person willing to receive Christ as their Savior. He exchanged his life for our sin so we can take on his righteousness. Amen? Amen? The life of God was exchanged for our sin so we can put on his righteousness. So, it's important that we understand in that context that forgiveness is not free. It was very costly to God. It cost him the life of his son. And as I was thinking about this, there's something very sad that came out of it for me. The unbeliever has no one to stand in his or her place, and he must face the justice of God alone. There's no advocate. There's nobody there. No one to speak up for them without knowing Christ. And they have to face the justice of God alone by themselves. And that's really, to me, um, that's sad. Now, I want to I look at various forms of justice that we see today. There's much talk about justice. There's social justice, racial justice, economic justice, gender justice, and and so forth and so on. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says this, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. God longs to be gracious to people. He longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Justice demonstrates the compassion of God. Now, the Bible simply says that God is a God of justice. It doesn't say he's a God of social justice. It doesn't say he's a God of racial justice. It doesn't say he's a God of economic justice. It doesn't say he's a God of gender justice. It simply says he's a God of justice. And the problem we have with these other forms of justice, like social justice, for example, is that in the end, they are not just. Now, I want to look at that. Ali Stuckey says this, justice is getting what you deserve without favor. Social justice is getting what you do not deserve because you have been favored. Justice is getting what you deserve without favor. Social justice is getting what you do not deserve because you are favored. Now, let me give an example of that. If a man robs a store, justice demands that he's tried in a court of law. And if he's found guilty of that crime, then he's to be punished according to the crime that he committed. Now, 
Social justice, however, not only uh, asks if the person is guilty, it asks about his economic condition. Is he poor or wealthy? Come from a poor family, wealthy family? His up came, uh, up, upbringing, was it good or bad? Do you have a good childhood or a bad uh, childhood? Uh, his race or ethnic, ethnicity, is he part of an oppressed group? And after taking all this into account, social justice either reduces or eliminates the punishment. Now, first of all, justice is about truth. Is a person guilty or innocent? That's what justice is about. And in that sense, justice is blind and demands everyone be equal under the law, whether it's poor or rich, or young or old, weak or powerful, regardless of the color of your skin, everyone is, is, is equal under the law. Social justice, however, is partial and subjective. And what gets lost often in social justice and some of these other justices is the individual's own responsibility for what he or she, or what he or she has done. And often these types of justice also make people victims of their culture and justifies their bad behavior. The Bible says this about justice in Leviticus 19.15. It says, do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich or being partial to the powerful. Always judge people fairly. Now, I want to look at mercy just for a moment. God is a God of compassion and mercy. Throughout Scripture, you see God has a special heart for the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan. However, uh, it was Ali Stuckey that said this, compassion follows justice. It does not precede it. Compassion follows justice. It does not precede it. In other words, after a person is punished for the crime, we show compassion to them in hopes of restoring them. Now, let me make another illustration uh, to kind of make this more real. If I get caught speeding and the judge lets me off without a fine, that is mercy at the expense of justice. It is kind to me, but it makes a mockery of the speeding laws. To show justice, the judge would have to ensure that my fine was paid. Showing mercy to me would mean someone else pays the fine in my place. This demonstrates mercy, but it also upholds justice. We understand? So we don't, we don't think of justice as being compassionate, but justice is by its nature is compassionate. It's compassionate to the victim because it brings restitution for what was lost to those who were the victim or the victim's family. And so that's demonstrating compassion to the victim. It brings restitution. And it shows compassion to the criminal by showing them that their behavior is wrong and that there is a better way for them. It was Adam Smith who said, mercy to the guilty can be cruelty to the innocent. Mercy to the guilty can be cruelty to the innocent. In other words, if we let someone off for a crime without punishment, it can be cruel to those who were wronged who will have no restitution for what was done against them. Now, I also believe it's important that we distinguish between individual justice and corporate justice. Sometimes we take Bible verses that are intended for individual and we try to apply them corporately, and it doesn't always work well. For example, advocates of social justice will often quote Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So we have to be careful not to take this verse, which I believe specifically applies to individuals, and apply it to all of society. I am personally commanded to do justice. For me to do justice, however, is not for me to impose my idea of justice on you. I am told to, to, to do justice. For me to do justice is different from me requiring you to live up to some my concept, concept of what justice is. I am to act justly toward others. Now, it does not mean, okay, it does not mean that I can pose uh, my form of justice on others because I think there is some injustice. Uh, if there is some injustice, then we can make an appeal to those in authority. Uh, we can uh, labor toward having that injustice corrected. Uh, but the injustice does not give me a right to force my form of justice on you. For example, William Wilberforce in England, um, he he appealed to the parliament, he appealed to the king over a period of 10 years or more to eliminate abolish slavery. And, and finally, slavery was abolished. Uh, another example might be uh, Martin Luther King here in this country. He appealed to our government to end the injustices of oppressed minorities. And he, it took time. And of course, he lost his life in that whole process. Now, um, just before we kind of wind up what I have to say here this morning, I want to I feel like it's important to, to back off and look at justice from a larger perspective. Um, um, there's a theologian, Charles Riley, Ryrie. He talks about three types of justice, and I, th I found this interesting. He talks, of, first of all, about ultimate justice. Is this justice which God himself will bring about? In other words, in the end, everybody will receive justice. Nobody gets away with anything. There is ultimate justice. Regardless of what you see, you look at some of the things that happen in the earth today, uh, it looks like just people get away with it. But there is an ultimate justice that God will bring about in the end, right? The second form of justice is present justice, which can sometimes be accomplished in our day and in our lifetime. There are situations that we can bring justice to in our day and in our lifetime. That's present justice. And the third is postponed justice. Sometimes justice doesn't happen immediately, and God can use that for a higher purpose. Uh, and so in any situation that we face in life, we've got to discern whether we are to fight for immediate justice, grieve over justice that is postponed, or wait patiently for God's ultimate justice. Amen? Amen? Now, let me conclude with this. Uh, um, there's a, a, a quote by David Slyker. I had a slide made. Bernie, do we have that slide, David Slyker? I thought this was interesting. The justice of God was to find a way to spare us from wrath and engage us with mercy that he might win us with love we do not deserve. The justice of God was to find a way to spare us from the wrath of God, engage us with God's mercy that, that he might win us with his love, a love which we do not deserve. Now, as we've seen, God is a God of justice. However, sometimes when you look at justice and mercy, they seem to be in tension uh, with one another. But we must understand that God's mercy does not involve the suspension of his justice. We can be both merciful and just at the same time. And so I want to, just as we close out here this morning, I want to look back at the story of Cain and Abel. 
God fulfilled justice and punished Cain, if you know the story. Cain felt the punishment was too hard, and he was afraid that someone would kill him, that someone would know what he had done uh, and, and, and would kill him. And so he just felt like the, the punishment was too hard. And so he makes an appeal to God. God extended mercy to Cain. He made an adjustment to preserve his life, but he did not reduce the punishment. Okay? So mercy, God's mercy, is not a suspension of his justice. Now looking again at the story of Cain and Abel with respect to justice, if Abel's blood cried out from the ground to God for justice, how much more does the blood of 70 million Christians martyred over the past 2,000 years cry out to God from the ground for justice? If Abel's blood cried out from the ground to, to God for justice, how much more does the blood of millions of innocent people killed under unrighteous autocratic governments cry out from the ground to God for justice? If the blood of Abel cried out from the ground to God for justice, how much does the blood of 1.5 billion babies aborted worldwide over the past 50 years cry out to God from the ground for justice. However, it is the blood of Christ that cries out more than all of these lives combined. Why? Because the blood of Christ is the only blood that can satisfy God's need for justice and make available to mankind God's mercy. Do we understand that? Jesus' death paid the sin debt for the guilty. Jesus' resurrection extended to the guilty righteousness so we can live eternally with God. This is the framework for justice that we find in the Bible. God alone has the right to define what is just or unjust. God is the one and only arbiter of just, justice and mercy. And it is to Him that we must make our appeal. We live in a kingdom that's ruled by a just and honest king. In Colossians 1.13, it says, He's rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness, and He's translated us into the kingdom realm of His beloved Son. We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, and we need to stop acting like we are victims of one injustice after another. Hello? This applies to all of us. Young, old, teenagers. Teenagers suffer from a bad injustice malady. Because we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the king, beloved Son of God, we need to stop acting like we're victims of one justice after another. Regardless of what man does to me or what injustice is thrust of, uh, upon me, I am free from the tyrannical rule of darkness. Therefore, the kingdom of this world does not dictate how I respond to an injustice. Amen. Hello? Yes. I don't need to respond based on the principles of the kingdom of this world. I need to respond based on the principles of the kingdom of God. Do not allow yourself to be governed by the rules of an unjust kingdom. Take hold of God. Take hold of God's kingdom. 
regardless of what injustices you have suffered, and respond to those injustices in a godly way. Again, Micah 6.8, What has God told you, O man? What is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? I believe if we, if we embrace those three actions, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before our God, then we're going to exhibit the character of God to this world, and we're going to respond properly to the injustices that we're bound to face in this world. Amen? Amen. And I guess that's it. Amen. 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 Dang, that's early. You can make me look bad. So, a couple thoughts. I want to do a, a quick heart check as you go. That's always good, right? Um, I loved uh, what Gary said about ultimate justice. Do you realize, and think about this, apply this, that every single injustice from the beginning of creation to the making of the new heaven and earth will be dealt with. There will be no yes. overlooked injustice, yes. not a single one. Does that encourage you? Yes. Every single one. Isn't that wild? Yes. Now, every, and again, Gary said all this, every one of those injustices will be dealt with in one of two ways. They will either receive judgment before the great white throne or mercy because Jesus paid for them. Right? Every single one will receive one of those two treatments. How many of you uh, are excited that the injustices you've committed towards others will receive mercy because of the blood of Jesus? Amen? Okay, here's the heart check question. How many of you are excited that the injustices committed towards you will receive mercy because of the blood of Jesus? Mm -mm. <laughs> it's a different thing, isn't it? There's a time to cry out for justice, especially for others. That's a lot of our prayers, our prayers for justice for the oppressed in the earth. There's a time to cry out for justice for yourself. But Jesus, can you imagine a greater injustice ever being committed than to crucify the one and only ever sinless man? And yet, what did he say on the cross? Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's the heart we want, isn't it? And so, uh, all that to reinforce, I love what Gary just said about being victims. The world is trying to talk you into choosing to be a victim. And we can choose to be like Jesus and be excited about mercy. God, uh, bring justice for that oppressed person. And over oh, that person who's oppressing me, Lord, uh, give them mercy. Isn't that freeing? Let's just be like Jesus and it might work better. Amen? So I want to pray that for you as we go out. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, make us uh, wise in the knowledge of Christ. And, and uh, Lord, you are the master of justice and mercy. And so, Lord, make us masterful in navigating this in the earth, in bringing your kingdom to bear in the earth, in bringing your justice and your mercy 
to bear in the earth with your spirit of wisdom and grace. Lord, we ask for you to give us the ability to model this so that the legitimate cry for justice will be satisfied in the blood of Jesus. Lord, in us, create your heart for justice and mercy. Lord, we want Christ to be fully formed in us in this way. We just ask for that grace now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.